Well, we've all probably heard the story, I know we have, of David and Goliath. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, Pastor Melissa, she has been, uh, she shared an amazing message on how God used a brave young man full of faith, led by the Spirit, to face a huge hulk of a man so that God could get the glory. I mean, that picture right there kind of really is the example, if we will, of what he was really probably up against. With a sling in hand, he chose those five smooth stones from a brook, and he yelled, Charge! Right? And he ran into a valley of certain death, according to what everybody else was seeing and thinking. But it was then that God guided David's actions, and the stone that he hurled went, and right between the eyes hit that giant, and he fell down. Right? We know how, how it goes after that. But did you know that David is not the only person to ever come up against a giant? All who are believers in Jesus Christ will find themselves, ourselves, quite often face-to-face with big challenges. Some of them seemingly impossible challenges. And you and I find ourselves staring into the eyes of a Goliath that either fear or faith is going to take over. We have to choose, right? Most often it's fear that we uh, have an expectation we're about to be defeated. The more mature we get in our relationship, with the Lord, the more we understand He is fighting our battles. Did you notice that all the songs were around battle type themes today, standing firm? You know why that is? Well, when you're preaching the message, actually, I was choosing the songs first, and the songs just started coming out, and I was like, okay, Lord, I think I hear where you're wanting to go with this, and this message came out of these songs being chosen. That's the way He works sometimes. Sometimes it's the other way around, but in this situation, it was like that because. In our story, the king of Judah, King Jehoshaphat, and the people of God, they're faced with a giant problem. And they are faced with a giant question. Here's the question. Will we shrink in fear and unbelief at what our human eyes and our ears are seeing and hearing? We can all relate to that. Or will we trust the only one that can help us face this giant issue that we're facing? Before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, I ask right now that we will receive encouragement and direction from your word today. That will remind us to trust in you during these times when we're facing those giants that may come our way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Just a little background. Jehoshaphat was a relatively obscure ruler of the southern kingdom of Judah. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where we're going to be today gives us a snapshot of a day in the life of Jehoshaphat that began like any other day, but quickly turned into chaos. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, um, we can uh, we can even bring the lights up a little bit. How about we do that? I, I don't know if Ben's thinking about it, but I, I probably have it right here. All this technology at our, at our fingertips. It's crazy, isn't it? Let's do that. Full. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. And we're going to begin in verses 1. And two, to get us started, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Don't you just love the Old Testament? Without the Old Testament, the New Testament just kind of, it's powerful, but it's even more when we know where we started and where we've come from. And how God has continued to be faithful and to move in the uh, lives of his people. So verses 1 and 2, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, goes like this. After this, the Moabites... And Ammonites with some of the Munites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar. 
Now it was after this that our author notes that enemies from the east were coming to invade and overcome Judah. It's significant to note that these armies were already massed and mounted and ready to attack at this particular time because Jehoshaphat was on a really high note right now. This was a time of great victory for this young king. God had made him his instrument to bring about a great revival in the land. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 19, right before this one, verses 4 through 11 record that great victory. So with the announcement of this invasion, King Jehoshaphat comes down from his high horse in a herd. Hazazon Tamar was a town only 15 miles from Jerusalem, less than a day's march away. And he's faced with a great challenge, a giant decision, a giant of a dilemma. So we're going to talk about what I believe to be one of the greatest formulas out of Scripture on how we can deal with our problems, trials, and impossibilities in our lives. Because when you and I are faced with giants in our lives, let's think about this, giants like sickness. Wayward children, a troubled marriage, financial loss, trouble at work, death of a loved one. The list goes on and on and on. You fill in the blank. And we have to respond in very much the way that Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel responded. We're going to read here today. It really gives us the greatest chance of surviving and a path that will lead us to thriving and blessing. Does anybody want to thrive and be blessed? Amen. Amen. So let's watch what Jehoshaphat and the people of God do in response to this great challenge that they are facing. The first thing we must do as we face giants in our life is turn to God in prayer. It's the first one here. Turn to God in prayer. We have to share our need with other believers. Why is that important? Well, this is what the king did in the opening verses of chapter 20. So we're going to move on to that. Verse 3 right here. Jehoshaphat was alarmed and turned his attention to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a period of fasting throughout Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. And they even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Verse 3 right there says he was alarmed. This is literally woken up and aroused to the situation at hand. And what does he do? He calls upon the Lord. And he calls the people to join him. He could have given in to fear. He could have began to humanly try to deal with this giant problem, as we all often try to do in our own strengths. He could have given in to laziness and just believed that what they were facing was really not that bad. You know, it'll probably just take care of itself and they'll just go away because they get, you know. He could have trusted and rested in his past victories and his might, his power. He had a massive army. And just not worry about things from that standpoint, saying, well, we can take them if they come out here and they become a threat. But he does what is not natural. He calls on the Lord to deal with the fear, the worry, the uncertainty, and the hopelessness. Did you know that fear, worry, uncertainty, and hopelessness are things that will drive us into isolation? Yes. And when we go into isolation, we are a prime target for the enemy. Yes. When you're isolated away from the pack, see there's power and strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. When we take it to the Lord and we also include all of the family around, that's a big powerful army right there. Amen. That's a, that's a majority, Amen. right? You and me plus those three. Mm-hmm. So where do you camp when there are giants in your land? Because remember, the invasion is coming. Where do you turn when you're facing what seem to be impossible or insurmountable odds? Well, I believe we have to first turn to the Lord, but we also have to turn to each other to include his people in on our giant problem. You see, pride and shame go to work on us when we're isolated and say, you don't want to hear about your problem. You don't want to sound like a whiny baby. 
They're just going to think, oh, all they do is complain all the time. Always talking about their problems. No, you'd have a lot less problems if you brought everybody else in on it. Because then we can all lift you up and help build you up and protect and pray for one another. The recognition of who God is. He started it out by saying, Lord. Lord means ruler, master. Your landlord is the one who owns the house. You own the house. You're under his subjection, right? Of your Lord. He said, the God of our ancestors. That's a big one. Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. That's a powerful rule. That's a bigger army than anybody. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. So then he goes into a recognition of what God did in the past. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built it in a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. Do you notice there's no question mark at the end of that? Like, will you hear us and save us? Why? Because he's shown himself faithful. And they know that when they cry out, he will hear them and save them. You see, Jehoshaphat is reminding God of how great he is and how mighty and powerful he is and that nothing is too difficult for him. You say, why would he do that? If God is all-knowing, he already knows that he's mighty and powerful. He knows that nothing is too difficult for him. But when we acknowledge that, it shows he is our master. He calls to mind, Jehoshaphat does, that in the midst of this great challenge, God is the God of the past and the God of the present. And if he is, then... What do we have to be fearful over? Why are we fretting? Why are we worrying? Why are we concerned? Why are we depressed? Why are we downtrodden? Why are we isolating? If he is all of those things, then why are we doing that? And he says, you, God, will hear us and save us. Yes, he will. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And the third thing that is going to come up when we're facing the giants in our life, we need to admit that we are powerless. Yes. Right? I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. That comes from our scripture verse here in this next part, in verse 10 and 11. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We are powerless. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. If the only thing when trouble comes you have that you can come out of your mouth is, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, you're already winning. Did you know that it's okay to be clueless or confused about what to do when you face a giant in your life? The king says, we have no power to face this vast army. But that was that really true? Well, yes and no. Yes, one thing is for sure. Jehoshaphat was not going to trust in anything that was human, earthly, or fleshly. Right. This reminds me of another story in the New Testament. You think about Peter walking on the water. Was it humanly possible? Prior to that, no. 
But when Jesus came out across the water, it gave Peter faith. And he said, if it's you, Lord, call me out there, right? He goes out and he starts walking on the water. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, we know he was safe and secure. But when he took him off of the Lord and put them on the giant waves that were beneath him, only then did he begin to drown. Yet the story doesn't end there. Why? Because Peter was wise enough to get his eyes back on Jesus when he cried out, Save me, Lord! And immediately, the salvation of the Lord came. Isn't that something? Yes. It could have been a failure. He could have been drowned. But instead, he put his eyes and his focus back on Jesus and said, Save me! And that is what brought him back out of the water. So the third thing that we have to do when we face a giant in our life is to immediately admit, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Yes. What a good place to be in the midst of the madness that we're facing right now. There's potential. They say things are getting better. Things are only getting worse. The book of Revelation talks about where we're headed. We all know that. We better just keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Yes. Amen? Amen. All right. The fourth thing that we have to do is once we admit we're powerless is to listen to God's direction. We have to listen to his direction in the matter. Otherwise, why would we ask him for his help? And say, well, you know what? I didn't really want to hear what you had to say about it. I really didn't want your help. I just want to see if you were available, right? No, that's not what we're talking about. The scriptures here in verse 13 says, All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite. The Levites were the priests, and they were the worship leaders. A descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And look at this next part. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Did you know that Mary Kay did that this morning? Amen. This is what the Lord says to you. Yeah. I have a plan and a purpose for your life, and I'm going to get you out of whatever it is, even when it looks dark. Thank you, Jesus. She gave a testimony. She, yeah. gave a, a, she gave hope for somebody who really needs it. Let me ask you a question. In the midst of our giant circumstance, how does God give us direction? Primarily, two ways. Through the Word of God and through the man or woman of God as he's doing in this situation right here. And very often, the man or woman of God is empowered by God's Spirit to deliver the words of God for us in our given situation. And Jehaziel was the chosen vessel here to give the direction. But the question is, who is it in your life? Is it the Lord and His Word? Yes. But what person or people are giving you wise advice about your situations? Think about it. Maybe you don't have somebody. Maybe you have somebody who says, well, if it was me, I wouldn't do it the way you're doing it. That's probably not the people to listen to. But if they say, well, what does the Lord say about this? Or can we pray together about this? Or what can I do to help you through this? Yeah. Those are the people. Yeah. All right? That's who we trust. We take it very seriously seriously, and ask the Lord if what they are saying is what we need to follow. Okay? You got the word from somebody over the phone. All right. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Jesus, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing in this situation right now? We don't just stop and say, okay, I'm taking so-and-so's advice. We still take it to the Lord. Amen. Right? Now, the fifth thing that we need to do as we face the giants in our life is to remember the battle is the Lord's. Amen. The battle or the burden is not ours, but the Lord's, right? If we look at verse 15 right here, he is saying to us, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. 
Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that he will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So listen, the giant that you're facing individually, or even as a family, or even as a church, is not our burden or battle. It is the Lord's. Did you hear that? So God says to us, stop fighting this battle. Take your position of strength in me. Stand firm and see what I will do for you. Do not give in to fear. Do not continue into your depression. Go out and face this giant in my strength, says the Lord. And remember, I am with you. Amen. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard. He'll raise up a standard. And that standard is a reminder that God is for us and with us, and he will deliver us. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. So the sixth thing that we have to do when we're facing our giants in our life is we must praise the Lord for the victory before we see it. We praise him in advance for what he's about to do. You ever prayed that? Lord, we thank you for what you're about to do here. We're just standing firm because you're a faithful God. And we want to see how you're going to work out this situation. Look at verses 18 and 19 here. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Question. Had they at this point enjoyed the victory that they were promised? No. No, they had not. But that didn't stop King Jehoshaphat from claiming the victory beforehand. So listen, the truth is this. As God's people, we already have the victory over our enemies and over the giants in our lives. You know how we can know that? 2 Corinthians 2.14 in the New Testament declares this. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph or victory in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5, 4 declares, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who's our faith in? Ourselves? No. No. It's in Him, in His power, in His might, in His strength. Giving praise and having thankfulness both for your situation and the answer for your situation doesn't start when you see the victory. That's right. What's the old saying? Well, I'll believe it when I see it. How about, I see it now that I believe. Amen. Amen. Right? That was a little harder to follow. But once you grasp a hold of that and say, I believe you, Lord. I know I'm going to see this. I'm going to see my victory. I'm going to see my victory. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then in the end, we change it up to say, I receive my victory. Thank you, Jesus. Because we already see that he's won the battle. But it starts before we see it. And as we recognize that the answer is already on the way. So the seventh thing that we have to do is to keep an eye on our faith level. Right? While the answer is still on the way. Have faith. Keep faith. Stay in the faith. Keep on keeping on. Right? Be persistent. 
One of the challenges of our Christian lives is when we are faced with a giant situation in our lives, our faith can go up and down. We're tested all the time, aren't we, in our situations and our circumstances. And we often find ourselves doubting what God will do more than believing what He has promised He will do. The promises of God far outweigh our doubt and what we think we see. I mean, let's look at this next verse, verse 20 here. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Did you know that the Hebrew word for stood here in verse 20, where it says that he had stood, right? No, how did I get on 27? But anyway, on verse 20 is where we're supposed to be here. All right. And looking at that, where it says that he stood, right? Jehoshaphat stood and said. It literally means taking a position that establishes or confirms a position that remains or continuously stands firm. I'm going to stand in your love. I'm going to stand in the promises. That standing is something that's resolute. It remains and continuously. It's an ongoing process. You see, we have this habit of saying, well, I'll stand firm when I have the strength. Well, it's his strength. So if it's his strength, just stand. Yeah. Right? Have faith. His position was we're standing firm because of the Lord's promise to us. Not because of what our eyes see, because of what our ears hear, but because of his promise to us. Literally standing on God's promises. So what is your faith level this morning as you face giants in your life? What's your family's faith level? Notice the progression here. First, we're to have faith in God if we're to make it. And second, we're to have faith in God's leaders and what the leaders have declared through the ages if we are to be successful. Okay? George Mueller said it like this. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. That's right. Faith begins where man's power ends. Yes. <laughs> Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith is not merely us holding on to God. It's God holding on to you, and He will not let you go. Amen. He wants that none should perish. Yes. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So are you tempted to let go of his hand this morning because you can't see how God is going to intervene in your giant situation? Or are you so standing firm in your faith because of his past and how he's been faithful that he's going to continue to do it again? Listen, when you can't see his hand in the matter, trust his ever-loving heart. He will not fail you. Yes. Ever. The eighth thing that we have to recognize <clears throat> is praise and worship is the prerequisite to victory as we see it. As we see it. Let's put the emphasis in the right place. Praise and worship is a strange and hard thing to do very often, especially when we don't see God working in our tiring or stressful situation. That's the hardest time to praise, isn't it? But shame on us if we're silent when God comes through for us. The winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, the stadium goes wild. How about when God comes through for us? Did he come through for you this morning? That's where the shout of praise. That's the song we sang this morning. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder in the presence of my enemies. Why singing a little louder in the presence of our enemies? 
Because it'll put fear in, the, in their heart when they understand that we trust in a God who's much stronger than yes. they are. Right. Yes, he is. Right? Yes. So look at this. Verse 21 and 22. Consulting, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, notice the, the occurrence, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. And they were defeated. Amen. Were they defeated when all the cavalry came out, all the swords and the arrows and everything came out? No. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against yes. them. Hallelujah. As they began to sing and to praise, Look at verse 23. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. They're taking themselves out. 24. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they hadn't even gotten to where the army was yet. There was no confrontation. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So I want to ask you, are you facing a seemingly impossible situation in your life? You need to begin to praise and worship God because God inhabits the praises of his people. If you feel like he's far away, he hasn't left you. Guess who moved? But if you want him real close to you, just start singing to him. Start worshiping. Start praising him. It doesn't even have to be in a song. I know, I know some people, they just make up stuff, but it's all about him and his character and his love. Sometimes that's the best thing. You know, when, when Baylor was real small, we'd be driving around, and she'd be back there in the car singing. She'd just be singing. The words weren't necessarily. It's like, I'd look at Melissa. Is that a song? What's she singing? She's like, I don't know. I don't, it's not anything I recognize. I think sometimes little children, they just sing praises to God, and it's just whatever. It's their heart. Amen. They sing what's on their heart. I love my daddy. I love my mommy. I love them all. You know? I mean, that's, but it's the sweetest song, isn't it? If you're a parent, the sweetest song to God is the one that will touch his heart. It's because it comes from ours. God doesn't come to the rescue of Christians who are neither hungry for his blessing or willing to give him glory for the victory. If we're so puffed up and full of ourselves, look what I did. I prayed to God and he answered, but I took the first step. That's not humility. You see, I got on my face before the Lord and I said, I don't know what to do, but I put my trust in you. Bible tells us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. To us singers, that's always been. I, I didn't quite hit that right note there for a little while. And you say, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But you know what? To him, it matters. Yes. Right? Singing joyful noise to the Lord. He hears it all as joyful. Yes. I mean, you know, American Idol has ruined it for the rest of us. Because we're all judges now, aren't we? We're all sitting on the panel saying, I don't think she could try to go with that note right up there. It's not her range. Or it's a little pitchy, dog, you know, is what Randy Jackson always used to say. We do that. But God doesn't hear songs that way. So when we're singing those songs, well, I love it because you guys sing out. You yeah. just sing out to your heart's content. I'll tell you what, Greg was the only one up here praying the other night. I bet he was singing some songs. And I bet they probably heard it across the street, didn't they, Greg? Because God, you were singing to him. You weren't caring about what anybody in the apartment complex was thinking. We've been in the offices doing some work. Greg's in here sawing on some wood or hammering some nails or painting stuff. And he's just singing to the Lord. Yes. 
He sings to, you sing to the Lord more than anybody I know, buddy. And it, it inspires me and encourages me. So when we give a joyful noise to the Lord, he just loves that. So that means that all of us can praise the Lord in song. And if we must, if we are to face the giants of our life head on, that's what we got to do. He inhabits the praises of his people. So let's, uh, let's talk about a few results of letting God in on your problem. The first thing that comes is we will have untold and immeasurable blessing that's going to come our way. I mean, let's look at verse 25 right here. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Listen, you can't outgive God. And when you do things His way, you get things His way. And His way is always more than enough. Amen? It took them all that time, more than three days to collect it all. The second thing that we do is we, uh, we see God's answer in miracle that will encourage the whole body. In verse 26, we see it right here. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Now, the moral of this story is simply this. When God does something great for us individually or as a family, then the church family ought to be encouraged and strengthened as well. We have to encourage and build each other up because we don't know what somebody else may be going through. Psalm 34, verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. He was at peace. He wasn't worried about who was going to attack next. But for a lot of countries that happen to pull one off, they're thinking, well, who's the next one going to be? We better be ready. But it says here, the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for he had given him rest on every side. God had given him rest. God gave Jehoshaphat and the people of God spiritual and relational peace in abundance. Solomon once wrote, when a man or a woman is right with the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Amen. Amen? As the worship team gets ready to come back up here, I just want us to pray into this for a moment. Uh, so uh, when you guys are ready, just come on and we'll do this. I, I, I think we praise in one way that allows us to worship in a new way, a deeper way. I think about how I've talked to people that said sometimes it was just me and Jesus with the guitar or me and Jesus with the piano or me and Jesus just singing in a car. I'm thinking about how every time we get along with Him, He speaks to us in a new way. Yes. So if you're wondering, I need you to move in a situation, God. I need you to uh, bring me peace between me and all the other uh, others in my life. I need you to bring me to a place where I can have a, a total understanding that you are in control of my life. What kind of giants are you facing today that you need peace from? What situation do you need for him to move into and say, I got this? Where do you need to be in that posture in your life? 
Is it, are we living out less of me and more of you? Are we thinking about how we have to really try to justify showing up to church and bringing our problems to everybody else without feeling like we're just bringing everybody else down? Because I guarantee you, there isn't one person in this room that would feel that way. There's not one person who would say, you know what, you just take your troubles to the Lord because I don't want to hear it. We're not like that. That's right. There's no condemnation, no fear, no need for isolation, none of this stuff where we have to feel like we can't take it to somebody else. So maybe you need something that you need to be prayed for today. Or maybe things are all good. But they won't always be that way. So maybe we need to pray for what's yet to come. As you stand, we're going to close with a song here that uh, I believe really spoke to me when I was pulling this whole set together of things that God was doing in this. And uh, he just said, you know what? Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe. Yes, we can see it, that wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. Praise the Lord. God, we believe. Yes, we can see that wonders are still what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. We are here for you. Come and do what you do. Set our hearts on you. Come and do what you do. Because we need a move. We need a move. Mountains are still being moved. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds being loose. Strongholds are still being loose. God, we believe. Yes, we believe. Oh, yes, we can see it. That wonders are still what you do. Bodies being raised. Bodies are still being raised. Giants being slain. Giants are still being slain. Oh, God, we believe, oh, yes, we believe, we can wonders are still what you do. We are here for you, come and do what you do. We are here for you, come and do what you do.
said amen. amen you are dismissed hang out donuts coffee whatever online we bless you you know how to get in touch with us through our website hopeforrivercity.com prayer requests whatever you need let us know we love you